Welcome to the Mega Blast Podcast. I'm your host, Jason McDonald. My goal is to get to the truth through conversation. The Mega Blast Podcast is produced by Arts and Opinion, an online journal housed at the Archives of Canada. Visit us at artsandopinion.com. I hope you enjoy today's guest. So, uh, welcome, Robert. Thanks for coming on my podcast. Thank you very much, Jason. It's a pleasure to be here. Good. So, I'm here with Robert Wilkins, the author of um, this wonderful book, Granddad's Montreal, uh, 1901. The objective is to discuss that. And I came up with the idea today. Tell me what you think of this, because I want to start naming my podcast. So, I thought of naming this podcast Montreal Then and Now to kind of riff on the Mordecai Richter book, so I think, I don't know that, what you... That, that's great. Uh, no problem. Okay. I'm happy with that. It's kind of uh, a good way to start. What I'm going to do, I'm just going to describe how I saw the book, like what I think you were trying to get at, and then you can talk about it. From what I understand, it's it's you chose 1901 for two reasons. One is that, uh, well, for a few reasons, but a few key ones. Um, Queen Victoria died very early that year. So it was the end of the Victorian era and the beginning of the Edwardian era. And you use those terms, Edwardian Montreal, which I find very interesting because to a modern reader, it's... Uh, and the other thing is your grandfather was... Uh, I don't know if he got married that year, but he was a young man and he was starting his life. Well, I could start... Uh, with my grandfather. Sure, yeah. Uh, my grandparents on my father's side, so my, my father's parents, they met uh, in Montreal in 1901. I know that for a fact from genealogical research I've done. Uh, my grandfather was from Birmingham, England, came to Canada at the age of 12 in 1887, described on the ship manifest as a laborer, um, Settled originally in Dundas, Ontario, but for reasons that we're not totally certain of, he came to Montreal in 1901 to take a job, I would think, and also perhaps to get away from his mother, who was a bit of a domineering character. Interesting. Uh, And he stayed, this is family lore from one of my aunts, he stayed when he arrived in Montreal, probably in the summer of 1901, he, he stayed in a rooming, a tourist lodge on Beaver Hall Hill. And apparently my grandmother was working as a chambermaid. And, uh, she was from Bedford, Quebec. She was French-Canadian. She was born in Bedford, Quebec, but uh, like many Francophones at the time, many of them... Going to the city? They went to, well, yeah. yes, the city, but she went first to the... They first went the United to, States. They, they went to New England. They were in uh, Providence, Rhode Island for the longest time. And she was, she frequented school there. So I, I remember her. She, I was 20 when she died. I remember her. When she spoke English, she almost had a, an Acadian timber to her voice. Uh, and in, she English. Had, in English. In English. Interesting. Uh, well, she never spoke to us in French. Right. My father was the last uh, child that she had. And for whatever reason, my father was not particularly bilingual and, and his brothers were. Uh, so she always spoke to us in English. In fact, I have a couple of memories where... Um, we went to visit her. She was in the Hotel Dieu in Saint-Hyacinthe. We went to visit her. Uh, so I would have been probably 15, 14, whatever. My father would take me along. And uh, she would start talking to us in French. And mm-hmm. my father had prepared a paper 
which she wrote, speak English. And he showed it to her. She was still in yeah. Paris as well. Wow. And he showed her the paper. Right. And, and she, oh, yes, of course. Of course. And <laughs> That's started, hilarious. Then I started hearing the New England, the New England English. In any event, uh, I guess we can name, uh, this is not uh, the, not governed by the CRTC. Uh, they were very much... Uh, not yet. Les, les Negres Blancs Blanc de Meridional. Okay. They yeah. were treated very badly. In so, the United States. In the United States. Yeah. So badly that they came back to the abject poverty they knew here in Quebec. Because at least here they weren't yeah. theoretically being discriminated against. So she said they went back to Bedford. But she eventually came to Montreal seemingly on her own and worked in this tourist lodge where she met my grandfather. I assume it was the summer of 1901 because my grandfather actually appears on the census of Canada in 1901 in Dundas, Ontario. The census, I think, was on March the 30th. So shortly thereafter, he came to Montreal, took a job apparently with the American Can Company, I think it was called, met my grandmother, and within half a year they were married. Wow. They married down in Bedford, That's Quebec. A Beautiful story. Yeah. That's a, that's yeah. a wonderful, um, it's just, anyway, yeah. They a, married yeah. down in Bedford, Quebec, and um, my uh, grandfather was Anglican, and my grandmother, of course, was French-Canadian Catholic, and to facilitate matters, he converted to Catholicism. Oh, interesting. And they yeah. had to... Um, that was a big deal in those days. The religion, that's oh, yeah, something yeah. that would yeah. demarcate 1901 from, say, 2001 or 2021 would be yeah. religion being this Actually, monolithic it, force. It's right? even the same for my parents. My parent, my mother was Protestant, was Anglican. My father was Roman Catholic, and my mother basically, my father was told, you want to marry this woman? You know, the children have to be raised Catholic. And so my mother agreed. My mother wasn't particularly religious. And my grandfather was heads over heels for my grandmother. You can see how beautiful she was. Yeah. Uh, on yeah. the photo in the back. Uh, so he, he agreed. But he had to be, since he came over here with no, um, no baptismal certificate, uh, they had to baptize him the day before, <laughs> really? yeah. day before well, the marriage. They said, not yeah. because they didn't recognize... Uh, Protestant baptism, they did, but they said, you cannot prove that you've been baptized, right, so we have right. to baptize you. So they baptized them, and they were married the following day. That photo is of uh, by um, Dumas, I think is the photographer. Mm. Very, very famous uh, French-Canadian photographer. We can, we can put that up, That's if because we're going to put yeah. up a bunch of photographs yeah. on, the, on the page, and people can go look at them. Definitely. Yeah. I was yeah. in touch with Pierre, he writes for Le Devoir, uh, Pierre Nadeau. No, not Pierre Nadeau. Jean-François Nadeau. Oh, he writes for Le Devoir. Yeah. He's a prominent writer with Le Devoir. And I wrote to him and I asked, um, asked him about that photo. I said, this was a very prominent photographer. And he wrote back and he said, yes, definitely. French Canadians at that time all wanted to be photographed by this oh, man. Interesting. Yeah. And I said, well, and he said, your mother being French, your grandmother being French Canadian, she would want to have been photographed with her new husband or the man who was going to become her husband, because we don't have an exact date for the photo. So she could send it off to her family to see how, to show them how yeah. well she was right, doing. Right, she married right. an Englishman. Status. Yeah, status. But it didn't And matter. that photographer took a photograph. Those, those are two things. Yeah. She married an Englishman and she has this well-to-do. Exactly. Right? So yeah. I said to Jean-François Nadeau, where on earth they got the money from for that photo? I have no idea. Good question. Both of them were. Poor. Horribly poor. Horribly poor. Probably saved up their shekels, as my they mom used to say. Yeah, saved, saved up, up their shekels. shekels. And they were able to get that photo. Yeah. Picture. 
Um, I just want to say a couple things about the book so yeah. people understand what it is. It, you, what you've done is you've taken you've taken articles from each day of the year from La Presse and the Gazette, uh, not the Gazette, excuse me, the Montreal Star. Um, there's no Gazette articles in there, as no. far as I can tell. Yeah, uh, there may be one. Okay, but I'm not sure. yeah, that's um, interesting. Um, just why the Star and La Presse? La Presse. I guess the Star was was the the Tory paper. I think you've described it before. It was a Tory paper. There's no yeah. question. Um, <laughs> just I should say first of all that uh, all of the research for that book had been done before COVID, right. and it was not even done with the intention of putting a book together. Mm -hmm. It's my hobby. Right. I enjoy right. going yeah. through old newspapers, and I used to go. Uh, until the day the libraries were closed. I used to go every day to the McGill Library. I took out their microfilm and I looked at the star, I looked at the press, I made notes, I took photos. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, so when COVID came and the libraries closed, I said, well, what put it all together. Yeah, let, let's do something with it. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. And so I did. It took me a year to nice. uh, wow. to do it, to, to, to compose it, another year to edit it. And um, so it's effectively the articles, but you've also contextualized them, which I like. You say on this day, this happened and this would be sort of a bit strange. And then you read, oh, OK, now I understand. Because because some of the language, especially in French, is really different. And, and the French language, I find a lot of it to be very sort of poetic. Yes. In a yes sense. I don't know if you had that reaction. That, well, I, my, yeah. my French is not that good. And I obviously my, 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 own, it's write, my, second language my own, my own writing is in English. But uh, a very good friend of mine, he commented, yes, uh, he didn't use poetic, but he used another word. He said, it's an old French. It's yeah, it's yeah. There's, there's a kind of an antiquated feel, but very nice. Like, not antiquated where you're like, that just sounds sort of dull and old. But uh, So that's that's how the book is. Um, there's a couple things I want to just quickly for our listeners, before I get to the individual dates a bit, I want to put our listeners into a picture of what Montreal looked like, because... You know, I close my eyes, I picture things about Montreal, and certain things jump into my mind that seem old. For example, the Jacques Cartier Bridge. But that wasn't there no, then, right? No, no. So, I mean, you know, obviously the skyscrapers would not have been there, but, I mean, the St. Joseph's Oratory was, was built not, was well not. after that. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about, you can see that from almost anywhere. That's I mean, right. you go to the South Shore, Ganawage, wherever, it's like this thing on the side of the mountain. I'm wondering if you could put, just talk a little bit about what was there and was there pollution? Like there must have been horses in the streets, no automobiles. <laughs> like if there's just, if you could put listeners into a picture of what it would have looked like if we could teleport back in time. Well, uh, first of all, transportation was essentially horses in 1901. Uh, I had a figure for another book, uh, how many horses there were in the city and there were tens of thousands of wow. horses in the city. Exactly. Uh, the book points out something. There, are, there are, there were motorized vehicles present on the street of Montreal in in 1901. Very few, however, and none of them were actually licensed. Right. So right. there, there is no record yeah. of Montreal ever having any licensed automobiles in 1901. Amazing. So yeah. when you consider the fact that basically transportation, all forms of transportation were. Uh, was by horse, animal, by animal. Yeah, horse mostly. Uh, yeah. Obviously, there was a lot of uh, horse uh, dung manure, yeah, around, yeah, yeah. Dung around. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and they had you had tragic instances where horses uh, st stumble, for example, and 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 they would uh, break a, a leg, and 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 
The issue was dealt with very, very quickly then. Uh, it's mentioned in there on a couple of occasions where a horse injured itself, the police officer comes along and shoots him, mm, shoots, shoots the horse. And I think it was in 1901 where some of the uh, policemen were not particularly well skilled at it, so they didn't actually kill the horse with the first oh, shot. Oh, God, that's awful. Uh, so yeah, they, the poor animal yeah, lying so they, there they, suffering from a broken bone and, and now getting shot. And it's like, yeah, a, yeah, yeah. boy. Now, um, Christian Gravener, who is a local journalist you may know, that's his book there, 375 Tales. He mentioned a case. It was not that long ago. It was it was well after 1901 where a ho- exactly a horse, I don't know if it, it was it fell down from exhaustion was going to die and so the policeman came and shot and the bullet actually ricocheted and killed a little kid oh my god <laughs> i know yeah. i know so I, I just to reinforce your point about um they often didn't really know what they were doing i don't know if they didn't have the proper firearms training or if they didn't you know it's you know but it's amazing to think that um that that could be that that would have been something that if you were if you were living in montreal you might witness that one day walking along you you know hear a gunshot and look over and there'd be a cop there with the pistol and that's something different you'd want to you'd want to know that um that the city base uh, st catherine street at that time in 1901 is essentially a, a residential street right the, the city right. itself was on what was called st james street actually the english even called it great st james great st james that's where all the businesses were what you have on st catherine street in 1901 other than residences is you have the bay or, or colonial house it was as, as it was called the first part of it that that was that, that building where morgan's and now the bay that exactly. existed yeah, then yeah. it did but yes okay but the front part of it okay the part not the back you, part the, the that part the front very front part of it was built in 1891 okay the second uh so it was a new modern building at that time, oh, like yes. I mean, within ten, within a decade, like you know, right? I mean, yes, that's one way to think not about only, it. Not only, not only was it modern. Now it looks like this really old building. But yeah, anyway. because it yeah. was in redstone uh, and had a very uh, classy finish to it. A lot of money had been put into it by, uh, I guess it was Mr. Morgan, uh, to build it. Uh, the city taxed it uh, at a very very high rate. Interesting. And and, and Morgan uh, threatened to. Um, you take all the the fancy facade down, just put up simple bricks. He's, I'm not paying, the, you know, not paying twice. Want to do it, and now now I'm being punished because I did do it. Right. The second part was built in 1923, and then there's a third part in the back, okay. which I think was built around Expo 67. What's interesting is as you go from the first part to the second part to the third part, uh, you get to the third part. It's much much simpler and mm. uh, not as beautiful and it's interesting, and not as ornate. So this is an iconic building, Phillips Square. Anyone yeah. who knows anything about yeah. Montreal, if you're on Phillips Square on the north side of St. Catharines, now the Bay. That's but right. it was for a long time Morgan's. That's right. But just I just wanted to linger quickly. You said it was called Colonial. It was House? called initially Can Colonial. You talk House. a little bit about what that was. I, I don't, don't know why it was called Colonial House, Jason. I but I, I do know that it, that was its first name. And it came up. And it, it came up from St. James Street. Okay. It was that was considered. When uh, that when that building was constructed in 1891, it was considered to be uh, a, a very uh, courageous approach on, on the part of the owner and the builder, because businesses were not there. Businesses were down in what we call today Old Montreal. Right. So he right. came, took that chance, and Burks oh, Burks quickly Burks, followed. Yeah. Burks wow. Quickly interesting. Followed. Uh, but even before 
Colonial House was constructed in 1891. What did you have on that street? You had churches. You had Christ Church Cathedral, which was built in 1860. You had St. James the Apostle, which was built in 1864. Um, so it was, and, it was and, a neighborhood. That had churches, right? I mean, people the churches lived were there, the churches were right? the churches were speculating as well that the city would grow northward. Right, the city right. was growing. Moving. So where else was it going to go? Right. It has to go northward. Wow. So they were speculating that. So it was Laval. I mean, yeah. is that one way to think? That's yeah. maybe an extreme statement, but it was the it was the outer northern reach that was suburban in one sense. That's right. Saint, what we now consider to be the downtown. Right? That's right. Yeah. And you had as well. Uh, the Bank of Montreal at the corner of Saint, uh, corner of Mansfield and Saint Catherine, the southwest corner. The building is still there. That's the beautiful Elizabeth, isn't it? Mans. Oh, that's Mans. Oh, excuse me, I was two blocks down. I played it like, yeah. Okay, the southern across from the Place uh, Montreal Trust, right? Uh, uh, across from what I used to call in my youth the Simpson Building. Simpson Building. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay, and, I, I, I can see that. that was, and it's still marked today. A Bank of Montreal West End branch. West End, branch. and West yeah. End being this that part of the city was the west part of the city at that wow. time. We're not talking about NDG or the West Island. And, We're talking about the center, the city center of Montreal. In uh, in Christian Gravener's book, speaking of the West End, he talks about that De Carey, There was a farm there, and there was a guy called De Carey that owned a farm there. So I, he may have been that. Farmer may have been in operation at that time. That family, quite conceivably, yeah, quite conceivably in about 1901. So yeah. this gives our listeners uh, just some idea of how m much bigger the city is. Oh know, yes, right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's sort of hard to yeah. imagine. You know, um, to 1901, imagine. you're looking at a city of maybe 300,000 people, yeah. 350,000 people on the island. Uh, well, the island probably. You're, a little closer to half a million, I would okay. think. Uh, so the city of Montreal, right? Okay, yeah. so half a million on the island. Okay, interesting. So that's that's really interesting. I um, what one thing I wanted to I wanted to go through some sort of key dates just to kind of talk about some of the things you've talked about. Anything you can remember would be really cool. But this is Labor Day weekend, so I thought I would start with uh, with that. Um, I looked at that. It, um, La Presse seemed very unradical. It seemed you know because it seems like Labor Day was more of a um, workers' celebration in that, from what I got from reading in your book, would that be accurate? It was like these. First of all, there were parades. There's no parades today. It talks about parades. It talked about these sort of workers' unions that were in the concession and so mm -hmm. on. And and La Presse seemed very, very unradical in its description. I, I don't know. La Presse was uh, essentially an organ of the Liberal Party of Canada right. at, at that time, so it wasn't uh, particularly radical. Um, I don't think you it mentions remember, Labor Day. I, yeah. we, we picked up Labor Day from the Americans. Right. Uh, the Americans were uh, diametrically opposed to the to the concept of May the first. They, right. they thought that was communist, yeah. and, and there were very very radical socialist unions of Europe uh, organized, and they did not want any part of May the first. Yeah. What could uh, go wrong? Nineteen seventeen. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, what, what could anyway? Yeah. yeah that's, exactly. a, that's a side note. But, so we yeah. picked that up from the Americans. I think the Labor Day started. I think in the United States in the eighteen eighties. It was recognized in eighteen ninety four in Canada because I went and okay. checked because I wasn't okay. sure if Labor Day existed. So it was recognized as a holiday, but according to what I read in your book, the, the the parades have been going on for a much longer time. So it sounds like people were celebrating it in a de facto sense, and then the government 
um, yeah. uh, you know, recognized it as an official holiday. Yeah. Um, but I think you're looking at, at maybe, I'd say 1884. I think before that, mm -hmm. I'm not aware of any, any celebrations yeah. uh, on, the the, part of, on the part of workers at that time. Yeah, I could be, I could be wrong. Yeah, I, I want to point out, Jason, sure. that this is a this is a work of local history. Right, this is not right. an academic study. It is not you know not published good, by very good point. Queens, yeah. Uh, yeah. McGill Queens Press, or uh, it, it could be considered a source for like I mean like like if if someone were right doing something an academic thing they could use this book yeah, as a I source. Think so. I, I think, think so. yeah, because I they would get some information you know, from it. Yeah, um, I want to tell you by the way just to give sure. give me a, a moment. Uh, the, I mentioned the Church of St. James the Apostle. Something that your listeners probably would not know, and perhaps you don't know as well, is that when St. James the Apostle was constructed, the church, a corner of Bishop and St. Catherine, mm -hmm. Anglican Church, uh, it was, it was um, constructed in the middle of a cricket field. Mm, uh, I did not know that. Uh, there yeah. was a, a cricket field in, in, in Montreal and a lacrosse field in Montreal uh, throughout the 1850s, 60s, 70s, until the mid-1880s. And it, it ran, the, the fields, the two fields were juxtaposed, and they ran from De La Montagne, then at that time, Mountain, Mountain Street, Street yeah. over to Mackay. So you had wow. this, you had wow, this, amazing. these two fields and a church in the middle of the field, not quite in the middle, but on, on the periphery of the, of, of, the, of the field, and for their monumental stained glass window that they had in the church, which, which faced Bishop Street, they put a grill on it to protect it from cricket balls, okay. errant cricket balls right. that, right. that <laughs> might, have, might have taken the stained glass uh, out. I actually saw that uh, grill removed in 2003. So it was still... They just left it there. They just left... They, a, they left the grill there. On per, Bishop Street? On Bishop Street. Is that right? Yeah. That's I, amazing. Actually, there's photos of it. I think the church was... When did they remove it again? 2003. So that means I must have walked by it like a thousand times oh, when I was going to Concordia in particular, yeah, and I yeah. just didn't know. You, you didn't notice it. Well, wow. first of all, I guess there was no rush to to remove it because, first of all, it was protecting the stained glass. If any guys feeling in a particularly rebellious mood right. like, late on the Saturday night might pitch <laughs> a rock through it or whatever. But they did take it down in, in 2003. Yeah. There are There is a, a terrace. There, there are terrace buildings or homes at the corner of Mountain and St. Catherine. You might be able to imagine them on the south, on the south side of the street. They run west from De La Montagne to about uh, pretty close to Crescent Street. Mm -hmm. Those buildings date from the 1880s. They're still there. I think the clothing store Le Chateau yeah. for the longest time was in one of them. Mm. But they're residences. They were originally residences built in 1880. And when I walk by them today, I imagine, they're four-story, I imagine the view that the people had for the first seven years of the existence of that building from their windows, they were overlooking the, the, the cricket field Mm -hmm. And beyond the cricket field was the was the lacrosse field. Right. Um, is it the north side or the south side of St. Cat? Uh, the building in question I'm speaking about is on the south side. South side. So you south maybe side. you could see the mountain then. Right? And you would have been able to see right. yeah. the mountain. Which you may well. still be able to see today, possibly from certain of those. But um, yeah. interesting. Yeah, it would have been the field. And, yeah, and boy, we get to 1887, and, and the land just became too valuable. Right. So right. I actually have a sketch of uh of of this of the scene from l'opinion l'opinion public i think it is it, it 
sketch of a cricket game taking place on the field. And in the background, you can see, deep in the background, you can see what is today Crescent Street and what was then Crescent Street, but it ended at St. Catherine. Okay. And beyond, beyond it, you can see the steeple of Crescent Street Presbyterian Church. At Sherbrooke. The one no, at the no, top, no, no, no. down at down at Dorchester, on, okay, and yeah, Rene Levesque. So many churches. Uh, oh God, the city. Yeah, churches. I know so it's crazy. <laughs> and and that church was built, I think, around 1875, and was destroyed in a spectacular fire in 1946. And the artist who did the sketch actually includes the steeple of the church mm, in, the, in the background. Was that Mark Twain who said he came to Montreal and said you can't swing a dead cat in this town without breaking a church window or landing it? No, I didn't know that cat. I thought he. I thought it was a snowball. A snowball, a snowball, yeah, but <laughs> yeah. whatever. Yeah. But but the point was made that there were many churches. churches yeah, I mean, years ago, I had a friend come to visit me from the UK, and he uh, he kind of called me, and this is before smartphones, and so he. He called me and I answered the phone and I was with a, I was with someone a francophone and he said oh I'm lost and I, and he said I'm I'm right across from a huge church like and I said and we both me and my friend just started laughing like that's not going to tell me that's much not, you know you could be just about anywhere you know <laughs> yeah so okay um, I wanted to get to um, also some of I mean some of the things you brought up that made me think that I noted down here were. You know, we're talking about how different the city was. One of the things that struck me reading your book, and just I know from history, is how much poorer people were then than now, you know? Um, and I think modern people don't understand how, you know, the kind of misery that a person growing up at that time that we do not suffer. I mean, in your book, the summer of 1901 seems to have a wave of infant mortality. It talks about hundreds of deaths going on of children and then... There's these articles in the Montreal Star chastising the women for not, maybe they need to give them instruction and have classes and things like this. And and when I read that, I thought to myself, maybe um, a lot of these young women had left their homes, as you mentioned, urbanization, well, we talked about that earlier, and had come from the countryside and they, it, you know, they were they were adrift from their extended families, where in the past there would have been grandparents and uncles who would have instructed younger women on how to. That was just an, a hypothesis that hit me. That might have been a reason for that. But did you want to talk uh, about I, some I, of that I, poverty or that wave of mortality? Well, I, I, I'm or? not uh, qualified to to give a definitive answer on that question, but I can tell you what my suspicion is. My suspicion is that the, the established authorities were trying to blame the mothers right. for yeah. issues yeah. that were actually part and parcel of the responsibility of the municipality. The water was not filtered. The water was not filtered. The water was not clean. Yeah. The water yeah. was being taken from the St. Lawrence River. It wasn't even being taken that far from where the sewers were being emptied into the into I've the river. That. Yeah. So the water was not clean. I don't think Montreal got filtered water until about 1918. So, so most of it yeah. was coming, the diphtheria, the uh, typhoid, and the like was coming from the water. In some cases, it was coming from milk. The milk was not re appropriately refrigerated. That comes up a number of times about yeah. some milkmen delivering yeah. milk that, that was tainted. Was, that was, yeah. yeah. Totally inappropriate. Yeah. Uh, the canisters that the milk was delivered from the countryside in were not cleaned. Mm -hmm. Or if they were cleaned, they were cleaned with the dirty water. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah. Which not going to help much. Yeah. That <laughs> didn't help much. Uh, and, and it was basically the infants uh, who's, who paid the price. They, they were 
newly born. I'll give you an example, uh, 1903, in 1903, there were 8,000 burials in Kotanej Cemetery, the oh, Catholic wow. Cemetery, 8,000. Five of those 8,000 were for children under the age of five. Wow, that's incredible. This is something, I, you know, I'm a, we were both, I'm a teacher, you were a teacher. So this is something I try and tell my students, I try and teach this, that if you were, if we were alive in 1850 or 1900, you know, if we were in a room of 30 people, there would only be about 20 of us. Do you know what I mean? Like if, if we were 20 people born in 1850, 10 of us would have been dead. By oh, the yeah. Time. You know what I mean? Like, and this is something I, mean, I usually do it in a very dramatic way. I'm like, you, you, I sort of choose every third person. You wouldn't be sitting here. Maybe me, you know, and I think it's, I think it's very hard for modern people to understand. And some of it, you know, we can talk about the responsibility of the state and, and all that. And what tends to happen over time is economic growth goes up and places, you know, the, the economy grows and then people start to care about these problems because they can, right? We see this in the modern world with the environment where very, very poor countries like Haiti and North Korea will chop down trees because they need the fuel. They won't care about it, right? When you see the wealth go up, it's usually around $5,000 a year. You, you get to a point, people start to care about keeping that forest. And I have, my wife is Dominican, and I, I once saw a protest in, in Santo Domingo where they were protesting cutting down a, a forest. And one of them was holding up a sign saying, we don't want to look like Haiti in 20 years, you know, like we don't, you know. But just, just to return to your book, it seems like Montreal is sort of going, it seems like we were going through that. That's what I'm sensing from reading that, where it, the, the, the economy and the social development is rising up to a point where people are starting to sort of point these things out and say, hey, we need to do something, and maybe trying to shift responsibility, perhaps, as you point out, onto the mothers. They become issues all of a sudden, whereas 100 years earlier, nobody would have, you know, would have babies die all the time. Nobody, you know, it wouldn't have even been in the papers. So, does it's, that make sense? It, I don't know. It, it does make sense. We have to remember that they thought differently than, than, People we, today. than we do yeah. today. Yeah. And they basically almost seemingly didn't care that there were people who were by our standards by our standards. yeah 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 exactly I mean, people yeah. it, it, it's almost unimaginable but people in the winter time the poor people in the winter time most many of them did not have money for food uh did not have money to heat i mean yeah. people i mean when is the last time we we've heard, well we did actually a year or so ago and uh an Aboriginal was found in a mm. toilet on Park Avenue, uh, Dead. frozen yeah. to death. Yeah. But it's rare. It's quite rare. Very it's quite rare. rare. And, then then and, it was yeah. very common. They, yeah, they, people people just of, froze to death. Yeah. Uh, inside their dwellings or on some, the streets? Sometimes yeah. inside yeah. their dwellings because they didn't have anything Proper to heat. heat their, they would send the children out to look for scraps of wood. and uh, the, like. the poverty is, 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 is mind-boggling. and. Yeah. Well, we're, speaking we're of children, a, but one of the things in there was a guy who was, his coal was being stolen. So he yeah. staked it out and then and a little kid came in and the way it's described is the child seemed to know what he was doing. He was yeah. stealing the coal. Anyway, so I just thought I'd slip that in. Go ahead. I didn't they, need to. Yeah. They, yeah. Um, they thought entirely differently. You have to remember there was no, there was, the government did nothing for you. Yeah. There, there was no social welfare. There was no unemployment insurance. There was no workman's compensation. Oh, you lost your arm in an industrial accident. Well, that's unfortunate. Good mm -hmm. luck to you then. Yeah. Yeah. That, that yeah. was it. Yeah. Bye bye, Charlie Brown. Uh, there was no uh, family allowance. Uh, 
the only charities that existed at that time uh, were uh, sectarian. Right, church. Uh, yeah, the church. The, you the know, church. Depending on your religion, you had to go to your religious right. denomination. You yeah, have, uh, the, the Anglican. Uh, Saint Vincent de Paul, I think, uh, concerned themselves with French Canadians. Yeah. Uh, the Irish had the uh, Hiberian Society, and the Scots had theirs, and the English had theirs. Uh, everything was sectarian. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know if it was in 1901 or 1909, which is my other book, but a man was found uh, dying in the, in the streets of, I believe, typhoid. And uh, the police found him and they didn't know what to do with him, but they, everyone seemed to recognize that his death was very close. And they asked uh, a facility, I think it was on St. Antoine Street, not too far from Atwater, if they would take him. And, so what uh, religion is it? That's the question. What religion? Wow. I'm just saying I don't know. You know what, what the society was, if it was Catholic or Protestant, but it, but that was an important that question. Was important. And, and, and the, yeah, I believe right. the authorities answered he's Catholic. They said, well, you can't bring him here. Jeez, wow. He cannot be brought here. They take him somewhere else. That's, we're, not that's talking incredible. About, we're not talking about the guy being Muslim or Jewish or, or Hindu <laughs> or whatever. We're talking about yeah, a different denomination of yeah. sects. <laughs> and, and no, you can't uh, you can't bring him here because uh, this place is for Catholics. That's interesting. Of course, this, this nonsense continues, in my opinion, with the burials. I mean, we still well, Cotonou is not so. You can be buried in Cotonou now. You don't have to be Catholic. But this whole notion of burying people according to their religion just mm. boggles my mind. But, yeah. Well, I mean, you're touching upon something because one of the things I wanted to talk a little bit about was some of the echoes that come into the modern times and. So the way that Montreal, Montreal's divided down different lines. Many cities are divided in different ways and social class is one. And social class sometimes correlates with, with language in Montreal, right? So um, if you look, uh, this must be touch on your book. I know that up until I think it was the 1940s or 30s, that east of St. Lawrence Boulevard, the infant mortality was sky high compared to west of it, right? So that must have been a feature. I don't know. I did didn't get a sense in there about that the linguistic difference in terms of the rich and poor so much as I have in other things. I don't know if you I have didn't, any evidence uh, for that, that. I didn't pick that up really. Uh, From the Fra newspapers. French Canadians were historically a little more uh, hesitant about, for example, vaccination. Right. You have the right. great smallpox epidemic of 1885 and um, the English, generally speaking, were getting vaccinated and they were being spared. And French Canadians kind of thought, I don't know if I'm answering your question or not, or I've gone no, off on a tangent. Yeah. French Canadians kind of thought uh, that, well, here go the English again. You know, they brought us uh, cholera in 1832 <laughs> to wipe us out, you know, to get right, rid of us. Right. And now they're inventing smallpox. And now they, it's not bad enough smallpox. Now they want to put smallpox in us. And, mm -hmm. and uneducated uh, French Canadians were very hesitant about, and the church was almost ambivalent. And the yeah. church, the church was picking up, uh, believe it or not, the church was picking up from the city five dollars a burial. Wow! Uh, so they're almost incentivized. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Like, well, yeah. yeah, maybe you shouldn't get vaccinated. You know, it's not a good idea. That's a horrible uh, uh, thought. Well, what you're touching on is is really is really interesting because very often when a population is subjugated by another, I don't know if I like using that language, but just when you have a class and and a, and a relationship, you could take different groups around the world. You often have a lot of conspiracy thinking. 
You see this among black Afro-Americans sometimes. There's conspiracies about they're trying to steal our stuff. And sometimes they're true. I mean, so, you know, and so and and what I'm hearing from you is is a population that was poorer and that lived in the face of this other population that was more developed in many respects. The Anglophone population was richer and more. And so immediately would associate that that development with kind of, um, you know, be suspicious of it, is what it sounds like. Jason, I have to remember, right. though, uh, I, I remind my Quebecois friends of this quite often when they create that type of I, I Yeah, I'm narrative. being careful here. I don't uh, want to, yeah. Griffintown was full of very, poor very Irish. poor people. Yeah. Poor Irish. They were yeah. as poor as the Griffintown and St. Anne's were yeah, probably the poorest parts point. of Montreal, even even poorer than the east, east end of the city. Well, I mean, the crime, some of the crime described in Point St. Charles, the violent crime is, I just read something this morning as I was going through it about a guy who, he went down to buy something at the local grocer and they refused his credit. And he went home and he was enraged. I'm going to come around to your house. It was, they were both Irish immigrants, I believe. And the woman they, shot him, I think. The, the woman, woman he, shot she him. went, he went into the woman's house. She shot him as yeah. he came in. And, uh, you know, and that was just a, you know, a day in the life of what, you know, Point St. Charles. So I'm mean, I just, yeah, I don't want to overplay overstate the um the linguistic divide because you're you're quite right that the class distinctions within the english-speaking community are are, are, very, are very important and they still are today and then of course there were uh, quebecois de source who, who were very well off that's were, right that's right yeah well i want to return to the french yeah. canadians who were well off in a minute because i okay. want to talk about that in relation to the royals but you still even to this day my students are very confused by this, but it's if you take the Anglophone community of Montreal, which is you know not huge, you you have I, I notice a quite a variety of um, accent. Like if you go to Point Saint Charles, it's very very different from say NDG or Westmount, just and that's a geographic and cultural distinction among a relatively small population. It's reflected in the socioeconomics and the history that we're talking about about here right my students are perplexed by this like the other day in my class they're like sir are you american i was like i'm not american you know and i was like i wasn't insulted i was just like what and then they started this whole discussion like oh you sound different and whatever because all their teachers have usually been francophones who speak okay. with an accent okay. right you know so they, they've never sort of they may never have talked to an, uh, a real anglo quebecois right and so they that i sound like i come from the united states to them but even <laughs> though i don't right but anyway that's well uh, when i was teaching high school uh this is so in I the East End here at Rosemont, right? Yeah, so these people yeah. come from Montreal North. Most of them are descended of non Dessouche people, so they don't have very much contact with right. the, But um, I don't know if you wanted to comment on that. I, well, I was just going to say, yeah. when, I, when I was teaching at Royal Vale and NDG, I had kids ask me occasionally, uh, are you from Britain? Or, uh, right, right. I, I said, well, you speak so clearly. Right. Same thing. I'm not from Britain. Right. But, you know, but I, thank you for the comment. These are Francophones, right? Is no, that, no, these are Anglophones. These are these Anglophones. Are Anglophones. Okay, kids. right. Okay, kids. right. Okay, interesting. Um, yeah. But yes, you're right. There's a very the class dis distinction, very right. distinct accent uh, amongst uh, Indigenous people, if you like, right. of, yeah. of yeah. Point Saint Charles. Yeah, you, you'll hear. Well, yeah, well, just I, I, mean, I remember you have a kid in my class. I caught her talking with him, some of her uh, buddies in the in the corridor, and they were chastising her because she was she was Italian, Italian Montrealer. And she would say sandwich. Sandwich, yeah, I've heard that. That's, a, that's an Italian her, thing. Lisa, yeah. it's Lisa, it's not sandwich, sandwich. it's sandwich. <laughs> and she'd say, well, I'll call it what I want to call it. it. Okay, you. It's a sandwich. <laughs> 
I think at the Maritime, I see a lot of the people from the point. Some of them came from Ireland, but some of them came from the Maritimes as well. And they bring up words like uh, milk for milk. Milk, yeah. Uh, I'm going to have a glass of milk. Milk. Uh, so that yeah. might be confusing your students. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think that I think that they just, I mean, this is the idea that Anglo-Quebecers would you know, have different accents would be hard for a lot of people to understand, I think. I mean, I think, that, you know what I mean? And so if you have no contact with um, the Anglophone community, really, it's sort of like you hear someone like me or you, you might you might sort of confuse that with someone, yeah. who, you know. Yeah. But I, I just wanted to return to this thing about the, um, first of all, the, 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 the La Presse being a liberal, very sort of conservative in, in, a, in a small C sense paper. One of the things that comes through all through the book is this impending royal visit, right, which is like this big event. And this is one of these things that we mentioned, the Victorian to the Edwardian era is that there's this sort of like buzz in the city. Everybody's sort of preparing for it. And it, you mentioned on several occasions, and there's things from La Presse of how excited the Francophone population was about this. This was I don't think they were as excited as the Anglophone population, but they were excited. More than a modern person would imagine. It, what it reminded me of, tell me what you think of this. Have you seen the show The Crown? Yes. Yeah. Yes. It was an early episode. I haven't seen many of them, but there was one where where Queen Elizabeth. I don't. Think she's queen then. She's still princess. She goes to Africa and she's going on this visit in uh, Kenya or something. And then there's these throngs of people. They're all black and they're all waving the Union Jack and they all seem completely like enthused by this. And to a modern viewer who, like, I was brought up in the post Quiet Revolution that the British Empire enslaved everybody. They were these. Everybody hated them and all this. It's so you see that you go wait a second there were people in the colonies who you know were proud of the british empire that seems incongruous and the same thing i have the same reaction reading your book about french canadians who may have had pride in the british empire it sounds incongruous and i don't want to overstate it because it may not be as there, big of a thing there was but, in yeah. fact one uh, french canadian poet whose name now escapes me i think he was poet laureate at one point Duquette. His home was on is on Sherbrooke Street near Saint Denis. Uh, he was a fanatical monarchist. Uh, he, he contributed uh, uh, the Fr La Presse collected money uh, to for this visit of uh, of the future King George to Montreal in September of 1901. And um, French Canadians were there's two ways to look at it. I mean, with historical hindsight, we know that Britain did not build an empire by being nice to people. Right. Yeah, that's obvious. But, no uh, empire ever gets to be yeah. an empire without some imposition. That's just it. Yeah. And our, right. you know, our, our, <laughs> I mean, habit, yeah. our habit now seemingly of, of apologizing for everything. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if uh, it makes much sense for me. Basic, maybe if it makes you feel better, you apologize. What's the easiest thing in the world to do is to apologize uh, for, for people who are no longer around. Well, they can't and, defend themselves. They can't defend themselves. Yeah, they can't right. explain the way they were yeah, thinking. Right. But the the uh, ball I like to throw at it is I, I, I tell people when I'm doing that was you know, those were rough times. There's no yeah, question. It's yeah. shocking to yeah. us it to is. see how children yeah. were treated. Yeah. But a hundred years from now, what are they going to no say about what us? What are they going to say about yeah. us? Yeah. And, yeah. And, and no, you're right. People, no. Yeah, I've seen actually in some of my presentations. I've seen people. Yeah, I never really thought of that. What are they going to say about us? So, 
Probably not nice things. They're going to say, oh, you left all these, uh, you emptied all the psychiatric institutions yeah. and got the people on the street. Yeah. What about, I mean, just to, this is a touchy one, but just the trans thing going on right yeah. now. Yeah. What are people going to say? In a, we don't know no, what, what mistakes we're making with regards to that. We no. could be, or maybe we're not making them. Like, it's, it's, we just don't know. Your point is a really, I love this because you're a true historian, that you look at things... You, wherever we are now is just where we are now. It's not perfect. It's just that's where we happen to be. Maybe it's better than in the past, but it doesn't mean it's not going to be better in the future, right? That's most people kind of were, who were who were part of most Caucasian people who were part of the British Empire uh, were proud of it, right? And, and they were right. pleased to be a part of it. Mm. But you even occasionally w would find French Canadians who is there any way to know what percentage of the francophone population would have had a pride because during the wars they, there was a, that was when the rubber hit the road and many of them said no way i don't want to serve but my friend Serge we met who i've had on the podcast his father was a francophone who wanted to go fight the nazis for example right he i mean he he saw that the nazis he saw in his neighborhood he describes in the podcast how in his neighborhood, he saw how the the fascists, like he saw like these Italians that were all into Mussolini. He was like just repulsed by it. So I just wonder, it's hard to do opinion polling even now, but I wonder about in 1901, if, if the, we could have known how many would have said, yes, I'm proud to be a British subject, or is that too well, hard to know? We, you, you, know you know, I don't know. You also have to remember when you're uh, looking at 1901, according to the Canadian census of 1901, Maybe fifty-five percent of the province of Quebec was literate. Right. So forty-five percent right. couldn't read. They, they couldn't. They had no yeah. opinion about it at all. Uh, well, you still could have interviewed them technically and said, "What do you think of the of of you know being a member of the British Empire?" Which right. is, right. I mean, I, like I don't know how we did that. I don't think anyone would have bothered to do those opinion polls in those no, days. No, but yeah, I, I don't think do, so. You, so there's probably no way to know. Is Not that, really. Yeah. Uh, you did note, though, and I think it was in March uh, that uh, Edward had just become king. And, and I can remember this from my youth. When you went to the theater <laughs> at the end of the film that you saw, if it was the last film of the day, and usually it would end around midnight, uh, God Save the Queen was, wow, was played here in Montreal in my wow, youth in the wow. 1950s. Amazing. And yeah. that happened in 1901. And a couple of uh, Quebecois de Sorche said, no, you know, well, I can't. Yeah, yeah. You know, we don't want to. Yeah. But, um, you know, I'm not going to. Uh, and they were arrested. And, uh, interesting. They were, they were charged. And I think one of them I didn't was, catch that. That's yeah, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah so, so, the, so that's interesting. So you're raising the other side of people who are effectively the, the um, um, well, the, the, the the the, um, the descendants of whom are now Quebec separatists, effectively. You're talking like people who would have been sort of like, forget it, we don't want to be a part of this, we want our own, I think. Well, yeah. Because yeah, yeah, I, I have a theory, I have a theory that people today who are very, very ardent nationalists, Quebec separatists, let's say, like probably one in five people in Quebec, you could tell, you could go to them and you could show them all sorts of graphs about how they're going to be poor. They wouldn't care. They just want their own country. That they descend, like there's, a, you could probably trace them back to the people who never accepted the British uh, conquest and those who never accepted the Canadian nation as as a as a British dominated state, they never ex accepted the the bilingualism of Canada. Like it's like, and I, I have a theory that they somehow are traced through a kind of a lineage in some sense. There's a kind of a, I mean, I don't know how you could prove that. You could maybe go back into find people who are and then go back and try and find if their ancestors had similar views. But well, when you're in 1901, you know. you're dealing with um, the two politics 
paramount politicians in, in, in Quebec or from Quebec at the time uh, were Laurier and Henri Bourassa. Bourassa yeah. was a strong nationalist. Canadian nationalist, actually. Canadian, yeah. Yes, but yes and no, in the sense that he, he wanted Canada. He did say occasionally, you know, the more I travel around Canada, the more I realize Quebec is my only home. Mm. Uh, but he did want Canada, as we as we know it today, to become more autonomous mm. from Britain. Right. To have less connections to the monarchy. Yeah, and so less he wouldn't have been particularly right, enthused right, about, right, about the, uh, the George VI coming right. here. But Laurier was a total... Uh, well, Laurier was prime minister of Canada. He was yeah. stuck with the two, the two extremes. But he was also an Anglophile, wasn't? Wasn't he one of? I mean, it's like George Etienne Cartier. His name was George. George I mean, yeah, they George. named him that. Yeah. I mean, not, Laurier too. I think he was. His family was very much. Um, I believe, I, I, from what I've read, I don't know that much, but. Um, that well, he his was roots, he, his roots were, were very humble, and he was born in Saint Lin, Quebec, and uh, he was. I think around the age of six, Laurier was sent to a nearby Scottish village of New Glasgow, and his family dumped him there so he would learn English. Oh, interesting. And he did, I he did know. learn English okay. very well. And then, of course, he came to Montreal and studied law. Yeah, it was a bit of a... Anglophile is the wrong you know, word. He, yeah, you know. It's, it was difficult. There weren't many people like the Americans who said, well, yes, it may be a great empire, but we don't want any yeah, yeah, yeah. Most people... Most people couldn't do that. Most, most people, people couldn't resist. No, the, they, you know, yeah. They, yeah. they were... The, the, the elites were wealthy because of the British Empire. Right. So they yeah. thought the British Empire was... Uh, it was a good thing. Yeah. The, the cat's meow. Yeah. They thought it was a good, uh, a good thing. Well, you can also... I mean, you mentioned a minute ago there's different ways to see the British Empire. So you can make the case that it did a lot of bad things. You can also make the case that... Given the options of that time, it was probably it may have been better to be under British protection than under the protection of another. You know, like like it's it's if you look at other options available at that time, like would would French Canadians have been better off if the United States had prevailed and taken over all of North America? I don't know. Definitely, I don't think so. No, I don't think no. so. I mean, they I, wouldn't, you know, wouldn't exist. Right, that's that's what I believe yeah, too, yeah. right? I mean, so you you can make a very good case that the British, in many respects, and also the anti-slavery movements. Were very strong in the British among the population in Britain. They were very early on. Like you could, you know, there's there's a lot of reason to be proud. Not the right word, but to look at the British Empire and say it was not such a bad thing. I mean, I'm not trying to apologize for the negative things. It's very hard, I think, for modern people, especially in my generation growing up in the post-quiet revolution, to sort of follow that logic. It seems very... I just just find it so... History at times so ironic. I I think of... uh, I don't know if you remember... um, when the um, the Berlin Wall fell, I remember I was a teenager. It was a seminal event in my life. Yeah, and and, yeah. and uh, the Germans expressed the desire to be unified, unified reunified. Be, yeah, but yeah. Margaret Thatcher faced <laughs> cameras, BBC cameras, <laughs> looking at them, and said that she was against it. She was against the two Germanys being uh, reunited. Because, and she said it with a straight face, uh, you know the Germans, you can't trust can't them. Trust they them. want yeah. to control the world. Yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, woman, you know. Yeah, so what have you, you guys do? been doing for the last year? What did you guys do? You know, really? But she didn't seem to remember that or she didn't yeah. see the irony in what she was saying. Um, 
But just to be fair to Thatcher, because that, that is a funny irony, the British, you know, they when they did do these kinds of things, they they weren't motivated by racial things. I mean, there was racism in the British Empire, but that was not the prime motivation behind the British Empire. It was a second-order thing. Whereas the Nazis, actually, that was a first-order oh, thing. No, no, you know right. what I mean? Like, just, just to be like, just because I, 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 with the comparisons between the Nazis and the British, maybe are apt to some extent, but there is a point where the Nazis are worse. Oh, right. There's no question. There's no question. I don't know if I. No, it's okay. No, I'm not glad you mentioned it. But I just wanted to say, when that happened, that that was a very important event, and uh, just it was an interesting uh, thing that happened. But okay, um, so the economics are really important there. The 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 poverty that's really hard. I mean, there was a couple things you mentioned that streetcar drivers driving in this reckless manner that in one case this grisly story of a woman who was deaf who went out one morning to go visit her friend or relative in the east end of montreal and, and the thing was barreling down the street at a high speed and she was like she was severed in two mm -hmm. just a quick thing because it occurred to me as we were talking about the horses was that a streetcar being pulled by horses no no they, those were electrified electric streetcars okay interesting electric streetcars were introduced in montreal in september of 1892 mm -hmm. before that they were horse-drawn and then the they went fast according oh, they, to this they, they went very yeah. fast and they again it for us, it's difficult to comprehend, but they, uh, it, it was, it's documented in places that when, when the streetcar conductor saw an animal on the track, he accelerated. Right, God. horrible. I'm laughing just at the, you know. And, and honestly, <laughs> from what I've read, they didn't make that much of an effort for children either. Yeah, wow. And that's why so many wow. children were killed by it. It's amazing. It's, well, I, you know, I rang my bell, but, you know, he didn't get out of the way. So children were left in the street. I mean, they were left. Uh, I remember reading about a two-year-old, like, probably 1901, who was killed on Ontario Street East. Two-year-old. She's playing on the road in the street. Her, wow. her father's at work and her mother's in the, in the house. Amazing. Got and run over got by, run a passing, by, by a passing a, a tram. Right? tram. Yeah. But, you know, today, if you were driving a tram or I were driving you a saw tram, a two you saw a child in the distance. Stop. stop. Yeah, stop. exactly. Yeah. You stop. Right. And you wait for the child yeah. to move. So, so th this, this indicates not just economic development, but moral development, like uh, kind of like a, people, like the value, not values, but just the, the, the callous indifference for life that, you know, that would shock a person in, in 2022 would be sort of like, it would shock some people back then. I mean, some of the Montreal Star editors were really incensed about these yeah. things, right? So there were people, you know. I'm um, going back to, you know, um, so there could be some class issues going on there. I don't really know, you know, the more middle classes and upper classes, um, you know, their lives were more valuable. Right. Yeah. The working right. class. Uh, and, and the working well, also class. their social, I mean, just when I said, when I like the, the Montreal star people were indignant about these things. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And they're from an upper class. So yeah. it could be that they, I don't want to make the case that the upper class people were more advanced morally, but it's possible that they, perhaps have the resources to care more, maybe, might be another way to phrase it. I, I, I think I said in the introduction of the book uh, that Montrealers were, uh, in 1901, were, I used several qualifiers. And the final one, final one was, as I recall, was that, in fact, the people were, were many people, right. maybe most right. people, were cruel. Right. By our by standards. Our, by yeah. our standards. Yeah. I can remember... Uh, my uncle uh, in Lac Lachegan, 
when I was a child, maybe five or six years of age, he would, we were up there for the summer and he had a little fire pit going with a plate on it uh, for, for hot dogs or whatever we were going to have. And uh, he found a snake, he picked it up and just pitched it onto the, onto the hot plate. You know, and I, I was only five yeah, or six. What the hell are you doing? Yeah. Who cares? It's in the way, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 the values were completely different, and, and uh, we've we've come to the point where we are today. Uh, but at that time, uh, their lives were hard. Yeah, certainly yeah. The, the poor. Certainly people, the lower the lower classes. Their people, lives yeah. were really hard, yeah. and they could not have cared less about uh, yeah. animals or horses. Or it's it's interesting. Just the the final thing I would note is that I can even see some moral progress in my own life just on. You know, gay marriage is now legal. And when I was a younger person, you know, homosexuality was, you know, I'm, I'm 50 years old. So when I was a teenager, it was completely stigmatized to be gay. We would bully people who were, well, we, I didn't, but it was something that happened among, even among the middle classes. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, I'm, I, I want to be respectful of your time because I know you're, <laughs> you have a bit of a hard exit here, as they call it. So I wanted to go through some of the things. Yeah. St. Patrick's Day, there's no entry on St. Patrick's Day. Is That sort of surprised me because it's such a huge holiday now and it has been for as long as I can remember. Is that, you know, I'm going to take a pass on that question because yeah. I'm not uh, for the for the long I would have answered I would have said to you yeah. that there was no St. Patrick's Day parade in 1901 mm, but possible. I'm not 100% sure as to whether there was one or not we've always said in Montreal that we've had uh, it's the big third largest one in the world third right? largest one after in New the York world, and Boston and the first one was in 1822 we've gone straight through with them with the exception of maybe 1917 and COVID is it possible it was anti-Irish sentiment um, because I, I just I'll put it down with a question mark here I wonder if like the star i mean you know would they have they would have looked at irish people in a somewhat negative light wouldn't they have being a tory british is that uh, I mean, I, i'm not saying it's true i'm just asking is that possible to remember some that? of the some of the irish of course were protestants well that's true um, yeah and uh, but saint patrick's yes yeah. clearly a catholic i'm, I'm looking right? at uh, yeah. the saint patrick's day parade in 1885 now and believe it or not uh they planned the parade and uh, the St. Patrick's Society planned the parade in Montreal, and they invited uh, the uh, Protestant uh, Irish Society to participate in the parade. Uh, so reaching so, across the aisle, yeah, reaching as it across were, right? the aisle. Yeah, but interesting. In 1901, I'd have to double check my uh, my data because I don't want to say that there was no parade. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not 100% certain. So the lack of mention in at least the Star and La Presse could just be coincidence so or you've maybe... been through the book march uh february I, uh, i'm sorry january I, I, and there's no mention of it I, I checked the 17th of march which mm -hmm. is when it typically is and i checked the days around i didn't go through the entire i mean i've, right. I've, I've gone through about a quarter of your book okay. to be honest so i have you know it's possible that i missed it too that's the other thing i, I don't want to be if you want yeah. I, I will double check my sources and maybe you can we, we can do an update. I, I, yeah, do yeah. an update. No, yeah. I'll, I'll let you know about that. What we can do is that, well, I'll put a note onto the description if there's some sort of a qualifier about yeah. this. Because okay. I, I don't want to... Um, just as to the... Is it possible that there was anti-Irish sentiment in that? Or is that just utterly ludicrous? That the star would have reported on it regardless, even though... Is that, Honestly, I yeah. cannot say that I've, I've seen anti-Irish sentiment in, the star. in Montreal yeah. 
or in the star. Okay, um, interesting. Yeah, there was ov obviously very anti-Irish sentiment in Boston, mm. in Massachusetts, um, but I don't think it was as uh, well in, in the as, UK as as, as evident as, as yeah. here as it was yeah. there. Um, okay, but you do see yeah. things like again. I'm researching right now, 1885, and looking at the uh, the uh, advertisements in the paper, and 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 employees wanted or whatever in 1885, and I, mm -hmm. I wouldn't be surprised. No if Irish. Yeah. Uh, no, uh, young Protestant girl sought right. For the, right. Uh, again, back to the religion, yeah, right? Yeah, the, the religion. religion. Uh, yeah, young Catholic boy needed for stable work. So it, it, so it why may, does it matter if you're Catholic yeah. or Protestant? You're gonna be working in the stable. Well, you know I mean? well, it may. I mean, it could be a couple of things. It could be that they they're just they, they want to exclude the other one because they don't like them. They're prejudiced. It also could be a proxy for the amount of salary that it could, might have been understood that Catholics are are, are lower are skilled. Are and, uh, yeah. yeah, not that it's it would be a de facto way of saying this is a lower paid thing. Yeah. Maybe, maybe yeah. I'm just you know I, I'm. I'm Speculating yeah. here, you may right? Be, you may be right. Um, it's because sure. it, I'm convinced. I'm, I'm never entirely convinced about the people talk about the no Irish need apply. If, if you go back, uh, you know, there's a great economist called Thomas Sowell who's written histories of different peoples, and he takes into account. And he talks a lot about he he wrote rural history of, of the Irish as a people, and they were so extremely poor, and many of them were very very badly educated and had very, you know, so they would arrive in these cities like New York and they, they were like, they didn't bathe and they were, they were very sort of, I'm not sure of what your word to use here, but they, 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 they drank a lot. They got into fights and all this kind of stuff. And I'm not trying to impugn the Irish population. It's just that it's possible that some of that sort of no Irish need apply was that, you know, nine out of 10 of them might've been trouble. Right. And of course the one guy who was maybe a really good worker had to suffer the the prejudice as a result, right? So I'm never entirely convinced. It's sort of like you mentioned how, like you know, the modern eyes looking at the past. I mean, you know, it's hard to disentangle social class from you know. Sometimes it correlates with certain populations. So when people talk about prejudice, what they're really talking about is anti people from a lower social class. Really, you quite know, honestly. If that makes sense. Uh, 1901, both La Presse and uh, The Star, if you were to ask me which two groups, which two nationalities or ethnic groups did those two papers target with racist... Uh, yeah. Prejudice. Prejudice. Right. Bigotry. Prejudice yeah, bigotry right. or whatever. Right. I would not necessarily have chosen the Irish as Interesting. I would say yeah. the Chinese. That came through in some of the... Who yeah, were, yeah, who yeah. were frequently referred to as chinks. Chinamen in one, but chink is even China worse. Chink, yeah, chink, yeah. Worse. Chink, yeah. Uh, and Italians. Interesting. Uh, the Italians, they said they were all murderers and thugs, and uh, they mm. all carried stilettos, and they were, <laughs> in some cases they yeah. were white. A lot of people came here you know, with the wrong, the wrong intentions, I suppose, uh, not saying the Italians did. God bless them. Uh, yeah, but, well, but, but I would say those, those two those two groups, groups are more likely yeah. to have suffered. Uh, That's the evidence that you see in those yeah. in those newspapers. Uh, yeah. Blacks. Um, well, the yeah, problem was condescending. I mean, okay. right? But you must remember at that time, if you were not white, if you were not English speaking, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, if you were not British, you were looked down. You were sort of down or lower. Yeah, uh, women. That's, I mean, women. Yeah. You can see how they were treated mm -hmm. in 1901. There was no no feminism around. 
the Star ridiculed the possibility of, of women getting the vote. right to vote. Yeah, amazing, uh, yeah. And it was only, I mean, this is before women could vote. Right? That's right. It's important yeah. to point out, yeah. right? This is, yeah. So that's, yeah, so I mean, in 1901, it would have been, you know, they're at the same, they're at the same position as, say, 1995 for gay marriage. That still would have been, or not 2000 for gay marriage. Some people would have been like, oh, God, you know, gays getting married, that's crazy. Now it's like, yeah. what's the big deal, right? Yeah. Who cares, yeah. you know, yeah. right? So the no, same we, thing is true for women getting the vote at that, in, yeah. in, in that context. We've made tremendous progress in the last 10 or 15 Just years. no question, that. yeah. Yeah. And I look at the, the young people today, you see them, I'm sure, in your station class. I, I only see them in the streets of Montreal now. And they, many ways, uh, they are so much, uh, they're so much more advanced than yeah. my generation was. Well, first so, of all, the mixing of the populations yeah, is yeah. much more, which I think is great. Yeah. I mean, I, well, I, I, a lot of my students are, are mixed one, you know, the, you know, one parent's Haitian, one parent's French Canadian, one parent's Cuban or whatever, right. like different. And, and that's the kind of thing that in certainly when I was a younger person, probably almost certainly more when you were a younger person would have been very, um, would have been looked at strangely. And in some cases, very much derided, right? As a kind of, you know. Jason, when I, uh, <laughs> when I was 28, I moved from the west end of the city to the east end of the city. I lived in the Centre Sud on St. Andre Street. I was 28. I really didn't speak. I mean, I'd been taught French in school. I really didn't speak French very well. I had spoken it occasionally in France and in northern Italy and in Greece because at that time. But not I, in your hometown. Not in my hometown. Yeah. Because at that time in the early 70s, uh, French was the language of refinement and, and culture and it wasn't English so yeah. in, if I was in northern Italy people as a second language spoke French in any event I quickly learned you imagine this is June of 1975 we're within 15 months of the PQ being elected uh, uh, the government of Quebec the height of Quebec nationalism I learned French very quickly yeah and I was the only I was the only individual that no one was you know half the people didn't speak English and the other half who did speak English were not going to speak it you're going to learn <laughs> French so I I learned French very very quickly interesting uh, St. Andre Street if, yeah. if you go down there today that area of the city and I was the only bloke on the block I can tell you I was the only bloke in the whole wow. neighborhood interesting and you go down there today, you will see little Haitian kids. Mm, you'll see, yeah, you'll yeah. see, uh, uh, St. Andrew, what was the cross street? Uh, Ontario. I'm Ontario. Sure okay. Ontario. So what would have been a very working class French Canadian part of the city. St. Yeah. Andrew was kind of a right. middle street. You go west of St. Andrew, you had Central Bell and Saint Denis. They were it starts to more, get more. Yeah. But, but yeah. But, uh, you go there today, you got little Quebecois kids, but their their descendants of uh, their parents are Haitian. Uh, you got young kids from Ontario who just love Montreal because it's so cool. Yeah, and, yeah. and a lot of people from France now on the on France. yeah immigrating here. The yeah, kids, the kids from Ontario that just love being in Homa. It's called Hachalaga uh, Maison. Homa, they call it. I haven't heard that. That's new. Yeah. Homa. Homa, interesting. Yeah. yeah, no, I mean, I, this is. I, I totally agree with you that there's there's more and more. It is to me an advancement that that like the fact that my students don't don't really know how to place me is maybe a good thing. Like maybe that that means that 
you know, this whole divide, like if, if it was 50 years ago, oh yeah, he's a stern bloke, you know, like they would have had me p- pigeonholed oh. as this thing. And now it's like, hmm, this guy's talks it's like he's an American. It's like, so maybe that it's like, I, I always have a feeling that, that there's a kind of an advancement going on there, but it's... I have a very yeah. close friend. Uh, I wrote an article about him for the Gazette, one of my last articles. He's a tour guide in the city of Montreal, 37, 38. Oh my God, he's he, uh, devout... Uh, sovereignist. I mean, it's just really yeah. quite unbelievable. We, I say, Jean-Philippe, is Jean-Philippe. I, say, I don't want to talk about it. I'm talking about this all night. <laughs> I know, I'm sick I of it. I don't want to talk about it. But, you know, he, he knows that I'm not, uh, and yet he likes me very, very much. Yeah. And he says, you're different, Robert. You're different. Well, just one final note about that that maybe will give you some hope before I want to move on to some other stuff. But, um, I, I do debates as a final evaluation for my English language and culture class. And so I used to have them choose what they wanted to debate. I mean, now I just give them something because it's easier. But so, so I had them in groups and they were deciding their topics. And one, one group said, uh, okay, you know, we, I went over, what do you want to do? Uh, you know, separate sovereignty. Said, okay. So I wrote it down and that was, you know, they were going to do it. And then a few days later, I, I got a kind of a knock on my office door and a few of them came in and they said sir can we talk to you I said yeah they said oh you know we really don't want to debate this it's such a it's such an old boring topic but Vincent there was one guy in the group who was really into it he really wanted to do it and 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 so I said okay so I found a way to kind of somehow change it I, I figure I forget how I did that but this was about this was before COVID so maybe 2018 19 something like that and I took that as a kind of sign of the times that it's the uh, those who came to see me were also French Canadians, a couple of them, and they just were so uninterested in it. They were probably born at the very end of the 1990s, the very early part of the century. They were so uninterested in it. No other group ever wanted to choose that topic. If that was the 1990s and I was doing that, half the groups would have been like, yeah, let's debate this. This is great. Everyone, you know, and all this. Well, that's, and, what, that's what Greenville said, I believe, when he joined the CAC. He said, there's no, absolutely no interest in it. Among, among the young. Among the among young, the young not, yeah. There's still probably still some. I mean, I, I would hesitate to, because this is Montreal. Oh, right? it can come so back too. It you know, could come back. That's yeah, right. Yeah. Back. I don't want to overstate that. Yeah, people, you, you seem to understand how it's something that I, I'm convinced it's sitting there somewhere dormant in the, you know, as, a, as an idea. But, um, okay. So um, I wanted to, um, there was no mention of April Fools. Do you know if that was not a thing? Because now, the, like now, newspapers, they publish fake stories and the internet, there's always something and it's a big joke. And, is, and there's no mention of it. I don't know if it's, that was not a thing. It's or, possible that, you know, there, there are, the book that I wrote in uh, 1909, which is basically just from the star, uh, it is possible because I, that because I wrote about it in 1909, I skipped the topic. Okay, in, fair in enough. So it was a thing. It was known uh, to be. They didn't yeah. have much time for it. That's right, sure. right. You, yeah. you can well imagine. I mean, these people were, <laughs> were suffering. They, they were yeah. working hard to, to survive. And uh, they, didn't, they didn't have too much time for that for type of jokes. Amusement. Yeah, okay. The 1885 carnival, which I'm investigating now, is absolutely amazing. But they knew how to have a good party. They, they really did. And Montreal had winter carnivals in the 1880s. And but people came in from the states. Interesting. But we're talking about affluent people, right? 
Right. While, while people are having the time of their lives in Montreal during staying at the Windsor Hotel and going to the People are working 70 hours a week and, yeah, and very six, dangerous six jobs. Days, very dangerous jobs, six yeah. days a week. Children are working, as you, as you can see, 13, 14, 15 years of age, and they're working yeah. with heavy machinery. One mistake. You know, his arm, <laughs> his arm in, gets sucked in. Yeah, this is the, the period of industrial, this is the industrial revolution, like the industrialization of Canada effectively right, occurring right. at this time. Right. So, um, speaking of a good time, La Saint-Jean um, has, I mean, we talked about this before we went live, just a wonderful uh, thing in the star. It's such a touching thing about how they changed the name of Logan Park to La Fontaine, Parc La Fontaine now, you know, mm -hmm. and how it describes that people went and they listened to speeches and they, and you're reading this, I'm like, this is the Tory newspaper? And then they, and what's interesting is, then they all orderly went home, and I thought, did they really go home at, at like, 11 o'clock? Like, it must have been some of them who stayed up late drinking, and I, I don't know. If it, but it was very touching to read, and there was nothing in La Prise about it, at, at least nothing in the, that, I, that I reported. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know if you there, wanted to. There would have been there something. something. There, there would have right. been something. Okay. The press. For one reason or another, I didn't. I didn't report that's, it. That's fine. I, I just I was touched by that that uh, Montreal Star it, description. You know, right? they're celebrating. We. Actually, I've been through this discussion before. Uh, 1968, I was in a young guy. I was in Banff, and I met a Quebec girl from Quebec City, and we were we, we dated for quite a while. Mm -hmm. And um, it, June 24th came along, and there were a lot of French Canadians working in Banff at the time. Okay, yeah, nice. and uh, they got together a for party. a party. For yeah. a party, yeah. so I said, "Well." I, you know, I'm going to come. I'm a Quebecois too, right? Yeah. Well, that's what we say today. <laughs> yeah. But she said to me, she said, no, she said, it's for French Canadians. You're, you're not French Canadian. You're, you're, you're an English Canadian from Quebec, but you're not French Canadian. But, yeah, it's very hyper. That, that goes back to how we've gone through this transition from the 20th century, gradually letting go of the religion. And then there's the ethnic divide, which is gradually starting to diminish a little bit i yeah. think that you're touching but, you on, know right it's, you know oh. the, the pq came to power and they started saying now i'm getting into politics I'm getting into yeah politics. <laughs> pq came to power we're all quebecois all of us including the english and, 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 yeah. and ethnic groups and the like and yet i think one of the more recent uh, saint jean baptiste either the last one or the one before in quebec city there's a, someone uh, the some anglophone was going to sing or whatever in English. I said, oh, that Paul McCartney, wasn't that the Paul McCartney? Well, Paul McCartney. Yeah, yeah, that was Paul in Quebec City. Was too, but no, it was, a, it was an Anglo-Quebecer Anglo who right. was going to sing in and English. Said, and no, that, that's not going to happen. I remember once I was at La Saint-Jean sometime in the late 1990s. And, I, and this is this was after the referendum. I'm going to... I'm going to stop talking about politics in a minute because I'm, but but I remember this woman got up and it was this was after what's his name Pachiso had given that notorious speech about the immigrants so the, so they were clearly trying almost trying to do damage control so this woman got up and she started giving this long speech out she said I came here and she named a Latin American country and then they accepted me and everything she was giving this it was a beautiful speech and then she said just like the you know the Brazilians and the Mexicans started going through this list of nationalities and then going down through she started naming the Vietnam and the Chinese and naming through the Irish and this and that. And she literally pretty much named every single group of people under the sun except us. Except us. Uh, you know, and I remember and I remember sitting there thinking, boy, this doesn't that's not good. Like you like I mean that we have if any if anyone has a claim on being a Quebecois, the English do. You know, my grandfather came, <laughs> right? my grandfather came here in nineteen oh one. 
<laughs> he was a, a, a journalier. He was a journeyman. He, he took all kinds of jump-ins and that. Uh, he did better in Montreal than he would have in Birmingham, that's for sure. But he was never a landowner. Or yeah, he, he never, he never, rich. he never exploited anyone. And he's an Anglais, like technically, yeah. right? I mean, he was born in England. I just, right? yes, yeah, I just so kind of, you know, I'm, it, it's late in my life, so I just kind of observe these things and and keep, I more or less keep it to myself. But I'll share one with you. I'm walking through Chinatown the other day, and there's a various historic uh, plaques that are up. Uh, explaining the significance of this, that, and the other. They're in uh, French and in Chinese. Interesting. Yeah, not in English. You notice yeah. something missing here? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Why wouldn't it? Why wouldn't it be in English? In English. Then you go to you go to Dominion. Well, I still call it Dominion Square. It's Dorchester Square, and you see the the statue of Burns or whatever, uh, and it's described on a plaque on the very close to the sidewalk. C'est en français seulement. At the bottom, it's marked uh, English translation available on the internet. <laughs> right. Yeah. So you're gonna go go on your smartphone to read it. Yeah. That's funny. Okay. Um, yeah, okay. Um, I want to get back to some positive stuff to close, but um, I, I did notice that Dominion Day, there's a couple of things. Dominion Day had no mention, but that could be just an oversight. It could uh, be. It could be something. Yeah. You know, Dominion the, Day being Canada Day The today. book is 660 yeah. pages. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, at one point I see you got to cut some stuff. My it's edit- a real brick. I mean, this thing is... My uh, editor said to me, you know, you're really... You, you got to cut it down. You got to cut it down. But I said, no, I don't really. Okay. But I guess I eliminated certain things. Dominion Day was not. Uh, not, a, not a big. For, for Anglos, for, for. The star. For the star. Yeah. Anglophones in Montreal were British. Right, right. Yeah. Canada so, was. Uh, sort of the second. It was another part of the. It was another right, part of Britain. Right. So you're proud of being British first, the British Empire, and the Canadian. Sort of like you might say, I'm a Canadian first and then a Quebecois second, something like yeah, that. That's yeah. almost in, in, in a modern. That's how I would describe myself, right? It's maybe, you know. Well, yeah. I had people, I had people uh, <laughs> 1995, I guess, the referendum. So, Robert, second you know, one. Yeah. The second one. Yeah. So, are you a, a Canadian or a Quebecer? I look at this. I'm both. Uh, yeah. I'm both. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, but, but, but if you had to choose, you know, if you really were put up against the wall and you had to choose, are you Quebecois or are you Canadian? Which one would you choose? And I said, well, you know, if you really put me up against the wall and made me say Force me. which one, I'd say, je suis Montréalais. Yeah, I'm right. a Montrealer, yeah, yeah. actually. I go to the Gaspé. I like the Gaspé. It's beautiful. Yeah. But I, I don't feel like I'm in my hometown, which is Montreal. Right, you know right, I mean? right. So really, I'm a Montrealer. It's interesting. Um, the the final sort of date that I wanted to mention before we close is this Empire Day, which is something that I, I stumbled across in your book that I had never heard of before. Empire that, Day kind of yeah. mor- morphs into Victoria Day. <laughs> oh, okay. And it's in May. And, uh, okay. it Interesting. Was the, the, the Quebecois, the Francophones, didn't celebrate that at all. That was the Protestant School Board of Montreal. They had special exercises that took place uh, in, in, in the school. Well, it said something about militarism and imperialism, right? Interesting. Proud to be British, and uh, but also proud in a very sort of jingoistic, yeah, like yeah. right, like like very much like we are the dominant one. We're gonna oh, yeah. wave the Union Jack. Yeah. We're gonna be. Yeah. Yeah, so that you was got, you got into trouble occasionally in, in in Montreal when you waved the 
the stars and stripes. That, yeah. that sometimes the, the, the star did not go for that very much. Mind you, the Americans did not like, uh, at the same time, 1901, if you, ro- if you rose a, uh, put up a British flag in an American city in 1901, yeah. it was going to be torn down. That's and you might have got the beating of your life as well to accompany it. <laughs> so they didn't, li- yeah. they didn't really like one another, uh, the British and the Americans. You could say that it wasn't until um, after World War II, really, that the United States and the UK formed their current, current yeah. transatlantic alliance. Because, I mean, look, the Americans, they had rebelled, right? That was a long time before 1901. But still, the 19th century, there was basically a Cold War between the UK and, oh, yeah, and, and the United States, yeah. right? Yeah. And you have the Citadel in Quebec City, you have Fort Henry, you have all this like establishment of a line of defense against the right. possible invasion. The War of 1812. War of 1812 was really the... Then the British sided with the South and the Civil War. That didn't help matters. <laughs> that, that was a geopolitical thing. Yeah. Okay. Um, just um, just as, as we close here... Um, we did talk earlier in the podcast a, a lot of, well, um, I thought we covered some really nice, positive things about the way that younger people are not so, you know, ethnically or religiously uh, segregated as much, perhaps, uh, certainly not ethnically. Religiously, we could argue there are other things to do with Muslims that are coming in now that are somewhat But I think, different. correct me if I'm wrong, but you're, you're teaching in a, in a francophone session. Yeah. Um, my experience is from what I'm seeing on the street and that the young and what we're seeing in uh, surveys, the young people, Quebecois, de Souche, and others, and others have no problem with a woman wearing a hijab. Yeah, they have no problem at all. With it. It, well, I think that most people don't. I, I certainly, I have many students who are wearing it. But what concerns me a little more is at, if it's starting to increase among um, native-born people, which actually there is some evidence of that. And I mean, I'm not trying to. You mean people a, born here? Yes. Who? who, who. I had a student once who I had her in a class, and she was my student. This is about ten years ago, and she was just a young, you know, um, she might have been native born, or at least she immigrated here as a young child. And then I had her in a, in a subsequent class, like a, a B block class, about a year later, and she was wearing the the thing on, you know, the the scarf. And I remember asked her, I said, "What's that about?" And this is this is way back, even before that shot, whatever it is, Kimik uh, was. And she said, "Oh, I got really into my religion, and I started reading about it, and all this, and it made me feel really connected, and all this." And I thought, "Oh, that at the time I was like, oh, that's so cool, or whatever." But then later on, I thought about it, and then I saw subsequent developments in the UK, and I started to see it happening more, and I started to think. If you play that out over the longer term, I'm not so sure that's such a good trend. I mean, people should be free to do whatever they want, but that's, I'm not sure I want the direction to be towards more religiosity, no, my no, personal, no, no. I, right? I, I, I mean, it's, I was yeah. In, I was in uh, Tunisia in 2006, and uh, Ben Ali, who was the dictator at the time, uh, he didn't allow women to wear hijabs. Yeah. I'm not saying we should do that, by the, the way. The only yeah. ones who did, or, or for whom it was tolerated, were elderly women who were widows you know right. they were all dressed in black and they had to put it on so sort of so a concession when, for older right? yeah, yeah yeah so right. when about ben ali's overthrown all these women start wearing young yeah. kids start wearing girls start wearing hijabs yeah you know, yeah, like, yeah. Like, well what's it's interesting because it's it's like for one thing as i said i want people to be free what they want to do but one of the problems i think that this society has as a culture is we don't send the signal strongly enough to young people who are descended of non-Desouche families, that they are in fact Canadians. 
And, and like, I mean, I think that that hijab thing is sort of an evidence of that. So she's looking around as a young person trying to attach herself. And why would she attach herself to Quebec or Canada? That's sort of these other people. It's like, so we're doing something wrong. Like we're not, you know, and I, I mean, I, for years and years, I've, this is something I've told on the podcast before, but at the beginning of every session, I do a, a little, you know, diagnostic and a little questionnaire, like favorite music and name. And I write down national. I've done this for about 10 years now and without fail, 95% of the time, if a young person is born of non-Dessouche parents, but born here, they will put down the nationality of their parents, 95% of the time. So that tells me that we're not doing a good enough job at telling these people that, and so I like to think, you know, this is like a butterfly flapping its wings, but I like to think if I sit across the table from maybe a few hundred or maybe a couple of thousand people, look them in the eyes and say, you're one of us. You're the same as me. I was born here. You were born here. Maybe that'll have some sort of an effect, right? And maybe that'll sort of counter that movement towards, because that is a kind of a, uh, not ghettoization that I do see. There's this like, well, yeah, I, you know, I speak French and I'm a Montrealer, but I don't feel like a Québécois or a Canadian. They're like these other people who are like me and you or something, yeah, or they're French Canadians. I'm just passing through here. Yeah, right. We're just kind of living in this hotel or and something. And a lot you know? of them are just kind of looking for the opportunity to go to the United States. Yeah. Well, these are native-born people and many Canadians. My brother went to the United States when he was a young person. So the, these are Canadians, right? That's yeah, the important yeah. thing to remember. But... I remember when I started teaching in the 70s, I teaching across the street from where you are now. At Rosemount High School. Rosemount High School yeah. for 10 years. I was there from 73 to 83. Nice. Uh, maybe 20% of the kids were Ukrainian, 20% were Italian, 20% were Greek. Uh, but most of those kids at that time, they were being influenced by their parents to try to respect their, their origins or whatever. They want no part of it. Want no part of what? Of being described as an Italian or as a Greek. I'm mm -hmm. Canadian, they used to say. Interesting. I'm, I'm Canadian. You know, and, uh, that's quite different from now. Different from yeah, now. Yeah, no, that's, I know that's at the interesting. Other my, at the other end of my career, I remember the kids, uh, the, the Italian kids, running up and down the corridors of the school. We scored, we scored. Right, right. The right. I, said, <laughs> I said, who's this we? Yeah, yeah. yeah Italy, Italy. Right. I, said, I said, can you name the prime minister of Italy? Could tell me about Italy. Yeah. Tell me and when you go to Italy, you're not viewed as an Italian. No, that's that's exactly. what I tell them. I yeah. say, you go to Haiti, yeah. you're a Canadian. So yeah. why would you call yourself a yeah. nation? Yeah. Like, you know. yeah, I know a, a Greek woman who <laughs> one of my former colleagues, and she speaks Greek fluently, yeah. but... When she went there, she said, like, you're not Greek. You're, yeah. not, you're not Greek. Yeah. You're not, you know, you don't speak it quite. You know, and, and you're not Greek. So, is there anything? I mean, like, I, I like to, I like to always try and close on something positive. So, I, I see, like, we've talked about some positive things. These seem to be some challenges that have come from the, you know, in the seventies, the idea of multiculturalism came in. So then that came along. And then Justin Trudeau has described Canada as a post-national nation, which sounds sort of contradictory, right? You, you, you know, in some senses, right? But I think I understand what he means. What he means is, you know, I'm living here or, you know, you're living in your community and then the Montreal North or something there's, and then in the NDG and people. Are, so Canada's sort of like a hotel room. In a hotel, a large hotel, I should say, where there's rooms and like there's the Haitian room and there's the Anglophone room and there's the, you know, there's the Jamaican room and there, and, and we're sort of every once in a while we walk out to get ice and we kind of pass each other, you know, and then go back into our rooms. Is there any way he's, that, go, he's gone beyond his father? 
But yeah, I mean, yeah. I just wonder, like, it, like, can you and I? Do you think we can have any influence to maybe make something positive to the future, or is, it, or maybe this is a good thing? Just, I want to, I want to sort of end with something nice, you know. So I don't know what you think about that. Maybe we can open the doors up and have a big party out in the in the parking lot of the hotel of some kind. I, <laughs> yeah, I don't know, you know. I don't Interesting. Know. Uh, I don't know really what to say when you when you reach my age. I think you kind of step back a little bit and you say more zen well, what is you know what works for them and what is yeah what what is what they want is probably probably the best good. They hope yeah. for the best keep your fingers crossed i used to have kids, have faith in the young that yeah. they are going to yeah. Uh, yeah i used to have kids ask me uh, towards the end of my career in school and they knew i was leaving uh they would ask me well, what do you think uh, what kind of a future do you think we're going to have and uh, I always said, you're going to have a great future. It's for you to make it. But I kept to myself that I do have, I do have issues and I, I do have criticisms and mm. uh, I, I just don't. But you would think, tell I them I don't want as, yeah. old, I don't want as an old person to come down on, on, on kids, the youth. On yeah, kids. I because totally that, agree. That, that's yeah. constant in history, as mm. you know. You're right. Yeah, you're, you're right. Read 1901, <laughs> the parents of the kids are immoral, you know, what they, <laughs> They're self-indulged. They're this. They're that. Yeah. They're the other. I hope I didn't sound like that when I was like, no, I, no, yeah, no, yeah, no. no. But but I appreciate the comment because it's it's a really all. important. Not at all. So what I, I, I lament uh, yeah. the decline of Canadianism, if you like. Uh, Is it really a decline? Because it never really like there was sort of it's like in in the up until the fifties, like when my mother came to Montreal in nineteen fifty seven. She came from the, you know, from the from the UK, and she came on a boat and everything, just like. And it's like in those days, it was still. I mean, it was not maybe not as monarchical as in your book, but it was not far. I mean, most of the immigrants were British and Irish yeah, at that yeah, point, and they, they, you know. So I mean, like at that point, there was still this idea that you there was the British and then the Canadiens who were yeah, French Canadians, yeah. and so like in a certain sense, the sixties and seventies, there was this sort of like, okay, let's build a Canadian identity, and then we went into the multiculturalism thing. So I, I don't know if it's a decline or if it just never really took hold. So, Canada's a very diverse and large, and, and you know, complex country, a remarkably right? diverse and right. large country, and, and that's a good thing. Right, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a very good thing. It is, but so. they're not easy to govern, right? And they're often not easy to hold together. Yeah, uh, and so maybe I'll just tell good. you, by the way, that sure. I still have my first passport. Really? From when yeah. I was so that'd be nineteen sixty nine. Wow. I was twenty two, and you open it up, and at the bottom of the page it says Canadian citizens are British subjects. Yeah. Wow, <laughs> that was Pierre Trudeau had that removed relatively quickly. But well, that's something good. Yeah, yeah definitely, definitely, he did, definitely, right? Definitely, you know. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so there's something positive, like what you said a minute ago. I think it's great to think that the young are going to figure things out. I mean, we can try and tell. I try and tell them maybe if I uh, have this butterfly flapping its wings and starting a great thing just by looking them in the eyes and telling them that. But they're going to figure it out, whatever I tell them. By the way, know. I still want to sit in one of your classes. Okay. Yes. Okay. So why don't we close with that? In a future podcast, I'd like to have you back. You can come and sit in my classes. I'd love to have you come, um, and I'd love to sit down sometime with you and sort of talk over some of your experiences as a teacher this might be a teaser at the so end here for maybe we a can future have a, we can have a beer at the cheval de 
well. Yeah, okay. Well, well I wonder if we could maybe do a – hopefully maybe get them on to – another one. I, I yeah. Enjoy, I enjoy it very much. I think – I'm flattered that you're interested in it. Oh, I I'm, I think the book is great. And I, th- I think I, I'd encourage anyone to go out and buy it, I, you know, so that maybe will help you too to yeah. put in a plug for yeah. it. So I want to thank you again. It's a real pleasure. Thank to, you, Jason. I enjoyed it very much. Okay. Thank you for listening to today's guest on the Mega Blast Podcast. I've been your host, Jason McDonald. This podcast is brought to you by Arts and Opinion, an online journal, which is also available in the permanent archives of Canada. Visit us online at artsandopinion.com. 